0: Hey everyone, this is Phil, your friendly neighbourhood host of this podcast. Now, before we get on to this episode, I just want to mention how you can support us at High Five Adventure. Now, High Five has seen firsthand the ongoing impact of the pandemic on student and teachers. There has never been a more urgent time to support classrooms and communities as they rebuild. You can help High Five reach teach and transform the lives of young people with a gift of any size you can donate online by visiting our website at highfiveadventure.org that's h-i-g-h the number five adventure.org and click on the support us at the very top of the page from everyone at high five and myself thank you so much for your support and on to the episode Hey, my fellow Veeps, this is a new episode of Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. At the recent International AEE Conference, I facilitated a session called The Shared Experience, where questions were asked by the people that showed up at the session, and then those who also showed up answered that question. And the aim is to demonstrate there is a lot of information, a lot of knowledge out there in our industry, and we need to connect more and share more. And this is part one. Feel free, as always, to do all of the things that support us at this podcast, uh, writing reviews, telling other people to listen, and submitting questions. And you can do that at Vertical Playpen on Instagram. You can send me a message. Ask anyone who's on there. I always respond. Anyway to this episode. So the first question of the group, and remember you can answer this just by raising your hand, is how do you personally prepare both physically and or mentally, we could go either way, for facilitating your programs?
1: My routine is ideal. It doesn't happen all the time, but ideally I am done preparing and everything Long before my participants arrive.
0: This is Lisa Hunt, who is a trainer at High Five Adventure.
1: So that I am just being present and social leading up to the session. It doesn't always work out that way, but that's my ideal. And in terms of like my own personal readiness, I go to like, do I have my beverage? That kind of stuff. I don't have any sort of personal sort of centering or, or any sort of readiness practices that I use. I like to be ready for my workshop, like an hour before it begins. Hi, I'm Danielle. Uh, My company is fields of recovery. So I like to do a breath or grounding with the group, which prepares. And if I haven't been on top of it and haven't gotten to it, that helps. And then also I just wanted to say like preparing in the days advance like every day did i get enough sleep like uh, lisa said about having your food ready or your water ready it's kind of like i know it's coming up how am i preparing in the days in advance to make sure i'm taking care of myself uh laura I would say it for me personally. It changes. I'm sorry. I'm Laura from Polk County Parks and Recreation, I'm the interim director here, and so I run a variety of programs for a variety of audiences. And you know, so for instance, the preschool park playtime, I just make sure I have as many things and toys in my wagon that I bring to the park as possible. And I just have that staged and ready to go. And, and I kind of, that one's more of a flow program. Like, okay, they're not feeling this game. Let's do a different one. And just having everything that I could possibly need ready in this wagon, including yeah, the water bottle, things like that. If it's like a hike for middle schoolers, I try to have, yeah, my backpack with the first aid kit and everything ready like the day ahead of time. I love checking my calendar. When I set my alarm, am I gonna miss a program in the morning? Um, So yeah, just try to get ready the day ahead so I don't have to think about it that morning.
2: Hutch. I teach at Boston University's Questrom School of Business. So the, the key thing I always do to prep uh, mentally more than anything else is is to have my lesson plan. And, and that lesson plan either, like if I'm, if it's a workshop like where I'm moving around and I don't have, I'm it's not a classroom kind of session, I literally will have kind of the outline and way more activities than I need, but I have it all kind of thought out ahead of time and know the flow. And then after I have it all detailed, I generally don't follow it. But, but I know I have it, and it's that exercise of going through it. And, I, and when I teach class, like I always have PowerPoints, and so what I do is I print the slides out, and I write in the margins what I'm going to say at each slide. And, and then when I actually teach, and I go through the ritual every, even though some of these classes I teach every semester, I go through the ritual of, of revising the slides, reprinting them, and handwriting the, all my thoughts on them ahead of time. So when I'm actually delivering the the talk or leading the class, I don't ever actually look at the slides at, at these notes. They're they're on the podium if I'm trying to remember what's coming up in 15 minutes. But when I'm actually doing it, I'm not looking at these at all because I've already gone through that mental exercise. You know, even if it's the same class that I've taught for 15 times.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love the prepar- preparing for stuff and then not using the stuff. You can also make decisions based on what's happening to go different routes.
2: Well, and it's, there's always those situations where you expect an activity to go for 25 minutes and it's done in three minutes, you know, and then, you know, and you don't want to get caught like, I don't know what to do now. You know, so it's, it's really wanting to have more than enough and be in that situation to edit out. Yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. You know, and it's funny because it's easy to do when we're doing a workshop because the students don't know what you're not giving them. I find it a bigger challenge when I'm in class and I realize, all right, I'm not going to do these these three slides or this content or whatever, and I'll just skip through it. And the students will give me the feedback of, well, they didn't get all the material, like they didn't see everything. They didn't. They wanted. They what? Why didn't I cover that stuff? And and it's really it leaves them feeling like they missed something when in reality they just got it in a different way or it just wasn't relevant.
3: Howdy, y'all! Sam Steiger from Minnesota State University, Mankato, uh, Maverick Adventures. My preparations are a little bit sentimental. And what I mean by that is I remember back to my beginning in the challenge course industry in the mid nineties, in the nineties, I remember crisp mornings. I remember a cup of coffee. I remember the wet dew on the grass. And, and that's part of what I absolutely love about every time that I set foot uh, in a program, even if it's not on the challenge course, uh, that's kind of the image that I have of facilitating and so I, I try to keep those traditions, you know, the same where I have kind of some quiet time before the group arrives and, uh, you know, I'm ready to approach the group right when they get there and, and engage the group right from the start. But the other thing that I found some comfort in is I call them my superpowers, but I use those little right in the rain notebooks and they're always in my pocket and I'm on my third edition of them, but I always write my, what I call set lists, I'm kind of a deadhead, but follow me on this. these set lists are all of my activities with different groups, but it gives me some confidence that when something turns in the program or if I need something new, I can quickly glance and look back at other programs and and that really gives me that confidence in front of the group. I've learned to get these for my staff, and it's something that we kind of hold true with our programming here. Um, but that preparation really, is, is what sets it apart. I've tried to use my phone in the last few years to write some of these things down, but I feel some guilt about looking at my device during groups. I actually feel a lot more comfortable uh, looking at a write-in-the-rain book in my pocket and getting that confidence than if it looks like I'm check, checking text messages or something to that.
0: Yeah, I, lo- I love the idea of the set list that you said. I, I also write it in, I have it paper, but I haven't got the organization that evidently you have. I, mine are often like folded pieces of paper that have got damaged through the training. And that is like a totem of the, the training at the end of like this tattered, scrawled on activity agenda.
3: Having a little pocket notebook, I think is really, for me, It's if I ever forget it, that's a whole different story than I'm a nervous wreck.
0: Yeah, it's, it, I actually brought this up in a previous episode of the podcast, this idea of having a list experienced people, I think there's a, there's this transition. You start off inexperienced, you have a list. You maybe get a little bit more experience. You try to get rid of being having that as a crutch. And then you get more experience to realize the benefit of having it. I still will carry one with me. And it's actually really nice to be able to move over and look at that. It gives you a break in facilitation a little bit as well. You don't have to be on all the time because I'm going to look at this. It's like going through your game bag, even though you don't need anything from it. Awesome. Thank you, Sam. I found, yeah, Laura. I
1: found out they make uh, they make printer paper that's right in the rain. Like you can print things on it and fill it out and keep it with you. I'm very excited to use it.
4: I printed out uh, topo maps
0: on that. Nice. So I can have specific to where I was leading that's so awesome. Minds are being blown here. Like, what?
3: This episode is sponsored by Right in the Rain. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: if we keep mentioning, this is always the aim. I've been mentioning Petzl for a while, and I've got nothing from them, so we'll try Right in the Rain. Dan.
5: Hey, friends. This is Dan Miller from Fifth Pillar Consulting. And uh, kind of piggybacking off of what Hutch was saying, I have found that my preparation for virtual programs looks a little different than preparation for in-person stuff. I really was was much more able and am still much more able to just adapt, improvise, go completely off script for in-person programs. But I find myself needing to script a little bit more and prepare a little differently for virtual programs. So one thing uh, that I've noticed, every single... I've done probably two or 300 virtual programs since the pandemic started. And it took me a while to get to where I felt like I have a good bag of tricks for that kind of stuff. But every single program, I have put too much stuff on the schedule every time, no matter how hard I try to manage time well or whatever. And so what I've been doing is I've been identifying ahead of time the things I'm going to cut and just knowing like what I think are probably the weakest links or, or just the most cuttable pieces of a program so that when I invariably invariably go over the amount of time I expected something to happen, I already know and I don't really have to think about or coordinate with anybody like what it is that's going to get cut for time and what we're going to do as our plan B. So just a little addition to what Hutch was saying of make the plan and be prepared to go off of it. For virtual, I can't go too far off of it, but I know exactly what I'm going to cut before the program ever starts.
0: What a wonderful reframe to the idea of an agenda writing I So take note, people listening, like the idea of identifying strengths and weaknesses within the agenda and knowing what ones maybe you don't want to use, if you end up going through your time quicker than expected. Hannah.
6: Hi, everyone. I'm Hannah. I'm a trainer for um, High Five Adventure Learning Center, along with Lisa, Phil and Chris here that I see so far. Um, I'll speak to the physicality part. Like personally, I, I get it kind of fill that by using external motivation. Um, I'm very lucky that my fellow coworker and friend, Sam Copeland, is a big um, workout nut. So <laughs> um, she always plans virtual workouts for us every week. And then um, as well as going climbing with Chris. And that's very beneficial for me in terms of understanding systems as well and how they apply from the climbing world to the challenge course world. And then uh, when I'm with participants, especially during a training, blade training uh, requires, you know, someone to be climbing. And so in that case, I've borrowed a lot of Lisa's games um, in terms of making sure we're physically warming up, but also incorporating this game called the wave stretch um, where one person starts with a stretch and then it gets passed along the circle and then the next person chooses a stretch um, and that gets passed around the circle. And I've really enjoyed doing that um, along with the ABC stretch. Um, so you and a partner are facing each other and you're mirroring, writing the ABCs um, And you go back and forth. So I would do A, and then my partner would do B. And that's another fun way um, to warm up our bodies as well for a training.
0: Yeah, I absolutely love that. (laughs) <laughs> Sam's writing that down. <laughs> That's how I'm seeing it indicated. Yeah. I also like just to relate the ABCD stretch. If you're working with younger participants, you know, my daughter is five um, and maybe younger and they're learning the alphabet. This is also a great reinforcer for certain things like the alphabet. And it's very physical. They get to write them in the air. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Anna. I love that. A
4: couple of things. One, Dan and Hutch kind of hit a couple of things that I do over prepare. John Losey from the into wisdom group like weeks ahead of time, because I know like, for instance, this week, I'm doing a couple of workshops and I'm in the middle of the conference. I'm not going to be able to cram. Like I'll be able to adjust, but do all the work. I always do far more research and work than I need to. And what happens is then it gets culled down to the actual program, but then I have bonus material. So if the group decides to go off script, I can go off script with them with stuff that is in the back of my brain. I think it's important to realize like what Dan is saying depends on the type of program that you're doing, how I prep for it. If I am a facilitator of somebody else's program, then I want to make sure I get there early. I know where everything is. I have a sense of place, go to the bathroom, drink some water, make sure I'm uh, hydrated and carb loaded and caffeine aided. But more often than not, nowadays, I'm, I'm rarely doing a program alone. And a lot of times I'm the one designing the program. So for instance, I'll, I'll give you a peek at the, what I do for virtual programs and like Dan, I've, I don't know how many I've done. What, I'm, what I do is I put together an annotated agenda, which allows for all that timing and stuff. And again, if the timing goes off, off the rails, I know where it went off the rails, and I can make the adjustments, but I'm usually doing it with either producer or co-facilitators, so we have to be together. Another thing that we do to prepare is create a text group uh, so that we're not using chat or other things. We have a whole text group going on on the side where it's the duck on water principle, smooth as glass up on the surface, but paddling like hell underneath. So the annotated agenda is something that allows to keep us on track. I color code it to know what's supposed to be on screen, who's doing what, that kind of thing. Um, Do we follow it? occasionally, but it's, it's something to deviate from. If you don't have anything to deviate from you're aimless. And so this is a path to get to our objective, but we all know it's not the path. And then like when I'm putting together a program where there's, I know some of you, you, you yeah, multiple groups out there, you're all using the same space and the same facilities. So I won't have, we'll get to a point where they're working on, let's say they're working on trust as a real general thing. I put six or seven activity options that we have props for and then allow the facilitator the freedom to choose their sequence the way they want. And also that way, if they get backed up on, a, on, a, on an activity, whether it's a, 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 an element or just uh, props, they can always look down and, and go a different direction. So that's how I, I prep it that way. They have I want to I want the facilitators to do what they love and do what they facilitate well. So I give them those options. I don't want to create a script or a recipe for them. The other thing that I learned to do is try and keep that on on one side of one page. And then we would when I train facilitators for debrief, I give them that page and I give them a pen, and we fold it so that they can actually like while while they're listening to the debrief, they can take notes uh, if they want to if that's something they can do, but then they can go back and say, during the activity, you say, everybody worked together. Great. And you guys solved this, but tell me what you meant when you called, when you called Hutch a jerk, tell me what was going on right there. And it's a way to give them observations without interpretations. And you don't have to call them when they're not noticing some of their process training facilitators to observe and to write certain things down that stand out to them that they can
2: investigate. They may not even use it, but it really coaches them to focus. Well, other than you know, speaking to John's uh, clarity of, of perspective of calling me a jerk, um, the uh, no, <laughs> no one of the things I wanted to circle back and and it was something you said, John, right in the beginning of, of what you your comments uh, was that when the group goes off script, you're ready to go off script with them and i think that's such a distinctive part of what it means to be an experiential educator and what it means to be a facilitator as opposed to an instructor and you know if i'm an instructor i have my lesson plan i have my objectives i'm going to what drives the the student teacher experience is the teacher but when you're looking at facilitation and experiential learning what drives it is the student what drives it is the experience and And that I think is for for new facilitators is a really terrifying thing because at the beginning of that workshop, you know, we have no idea where it's gonna go. Like we have a sense of where we want it to go and where we think it could go, but that could take a turn and, and really the teachable moment, right? That experience is what we need as facilitators to be able to embrace and go into as opposed to, well, that's not on the lesson plan. So let's just stop that conversation and let's keep talking about this. You know, and, and I love the way you phrase that, John, of just like when the group goes off script, we can go off script with them. Because really, I think to be a good facilitator, we, having lesson plans and being prepared is great, but we really have to be most prepared to be with them in that experience and in that moment.
4: And, and in response to that, Hutch, I think it's really important that we we can't let the group decide where they end up. We have to stick to the what we guaranteed in the program, what the outcomes we promised. We have to stick to that, but realizing there's many paths to that outcome, not just mine. And I think that's it gets into how we train facilitators today. Too often, I think we we train them, we give them scripts, we say follow the script. Which I know in the facilitator heart, if you give me a script, I've got to push back saying I ain't doing it. But when you're being trained, you say, here's the here's the activity you're going to do, frame it this way, give these instructions, do this to make it safe, do it, ask these questions in the debrief. Well, we, we train people to be to follow recipes, which is you, but I need that that you have to do that, but you also have to give them the underpinnings of how facilitation works, of how experience works in the facilitation piece. It's one of the reasons why there was such a shipwreck when COVID hit and we had to move to virtual. Some of the best facilitators I know in the world were in despair because their old scripts weren't working anymore. And they worked every time and they were able to dance around them. And oftentimes for the for the best of them, it was just a matter of take a breath and remember what you learned about how facilitation works, not how you facilitate it. And all of a
0: sudden they were overwhelmed with the options that they had on how to be experiential virtually. The activities themselves aren't the part that's good about the work that we do. It's the way that we facilitate those activities. So being able to adapt and change on the fly is such a valuable skill. And absolutely, we all kind of went from being really experienced to all being new teachers again and having to learn the craft a little bit more and differently. Um, So I appreciate that a lot. This is a question from Laura, favorite quick activity to make people laugh. I can say that mine is currently 123 Or clap, jump, meow. It's the same game, but different the way you say it. The reason I love that is it creates a lot of surprise elements. So the aim is with a partner, you're trying to alternate between saying the numbers one, then two, then three. So I would say one, my partner say two, and then three. And you see how fast you can go between you, how efficiently you can do that. Second round, you swap out the word one with a clap above your head. So now they're doing clap, two, three, clap, two, three. Next round, it's now clap, and then the two is now a jump. So it's clap, jump, free, clap, jump, free, alternating between. And the last one is a meow, like a cat meow, meow. And so it's now clap, jump, meow. And so that for me, I, I, I think has been something that's been enjoyable. Thank you for that, John. I, I agree. It was a nice meow. Kelly, what's your, uh, what's your go-to activity to make people laugh?
1: I'm Kelly and I am with Texas State University. My favorite is called Screaming Toes. And so I see several people nodding. Um, You have them, everyone stand in a circle. You have them look down at their toes. And when you say up, they look up and they're supposed to look at someone's eye region um and if you make contact you scream and jump out of the circle so it's a pretty quick elimination game and you can play a lot of rounds really fast it's a really great time filler but um i try to do animal sounds if i'm inside like you have to be a cat or something but uh they like to scream and it's always really funny and startling so that's probably my favorite laura So I asked the question in the chat. I didn't expect to get as many answers in the chat as I did. So I was pleasantly surprised. I want to know all of them. But I saw it was a smile off in a TV show where they just like – start dancing or moving their hands and then they end with a really funny smile to try to make the other person laugh and it just i've used it once already just in my own house to change the atmosphere when my son was losing a game (laughs) and we just started to smile off in the middle of the game and no one else really knew what was going on it was really funny but you can get really creative and it's a fast no prop thing to make people laugh
5: Yeah, so I I answered the question in the chat, I and I have another answer that uh, Laura just sparked for me. Initially, I said, uh, Simon Says, or Jump In, Jump Out, also known as Say What I Say, are two really fun ones. And Simon Says, I, I shouldn't assume that everybody knows, but you can look it up, and it's out there. What's really interesting is the, you know, Michelle Cummings and Scott Gerst have, I think, turned... Simon says into quite a, a beautiful art and change the game a little bit so nobody gets out and I've just find in those kind of classic children's games it's very easy to get people laughing because honestly if they don't they just feel uncomfortable and uncomfortability plus laughter is just much more pleasant than uncomfortability all by itself. So I really like those two activities. Chad Littlefield has a lot of really good ones. A a video I watched of him introduced me to an activity called Touch Blue, uh, which is basically exactly what it sounds like. Uh, Kind of a crowd funded version of Simon Says. Again, I don't want to take all the time in our time together here to explain all these. But then what Laura made me think of, in addition to the smile off, if I have some kind of activity that's trying to like zero in on a winner, but we end up with two two winners or we have two people who we just need to decide which one of them is going to be the one then um, i'll facilitate something called a vegetable off that i imagine at least a few of you are familiar with and i think it is worth explaining that one where you have these two people you get the whoever's not one of these two people to contribute uh, what's the vegetable we're going to use in this vegetable off and so they may say something let's say artichoke for example And uh, and then you tell these two remaining people, okay. so your task when we count down from three is that you're both going to do your best impression of an artichoke. And the rest of our audience here is going to determine which one of you is the winner. And that, without a doubt, even if even if it's a normal vegetable, even if it's tomato, whatever, without a doubt, always gets a lot of people cracking up at the uh, attempts to impersonate a vegetable.
0: There are some activities that when people bring them up, I think, oh, wow, I have not heard that activity in the longest time. Vegetable off, that is an activity I do certainly remember doing, but not in any recent months or years. So thanks, Dan. Bring it back, Sam.
3: (laughs) Sam? All right. So um, I had written in the chat that there is an activity that I had learned originally from Micah Jacobson from Open to Outcome, the book. And it's called It's On. And basically, I'm going to take Dan Miller on right now. So, Dan, what I'd like you to do is... When we put our hands together and your thumbs are touching your chin, that means it's on. When your thumbs are not touching your chin, that means it's off. And basically my dream is to someday someday walk into a high rise in Chicago, the elevator opens and I'm staring a stranger in the face. We look at each other with a menacing look in each other's eyes and we just say, it's on. So Dan and I do this, we're touching our thumbs And then I'm going for points. So I'm trying to reach forward and tap Dan's shoulders for points. But as Dan reaches for my shoulders, I can block him. (laughs) And so it's pointless. You're just going for for points. But I've never, ever done it with a group without hysterical laughing. It does get a little rough with uh, velocity of point grabbing. And there is personal touch involved. But I, I really think it's a great activity. I usually throw it into a concentric circle rapid fire kind of olympics setting
0: i do not know that activity so thank you so much sam
4: dan it's on (laughs) john i heard the quick make people laugh and i went to one that i use to generate movement and just break up in virtual which is fake laugh and and just i've got it so i've got a, a movement what i call the wheel of movement and if i go for more than 45 minutes i'll have people Sometimes I'll just say, stand up, walk around your chair. Sometimes I'll go to the movement randomizer and flippity and just flip it around. One of them is, is laugh out loud. And if you just go, okay, everybody laugh out loud (laughs) and you let it stop at that, they won't, it'll just stay a fake laugh. But if you say, all right, keep going, fake laugh for 15 seconds and it turns into real laughter. So that is like one of my quick, if I want to get people's blood back to their brains and out of their booty that's that's a, a good quick one to do it. Outside one of my go-to ones back in the day when my knees still bent and my shoulders moved, I would do a, an activity called ha and you everybody lays down in a line with their head on somebody else's uh, stomach in a zigzag like that and you see if you can't get everybody to do start off with the first person, ha second person, ha ha third person, ha ha ha. And that it can go for an hour sometimes because they're just, there's they get first they're laughing, then they get really frustrated and they're laughing so hard that they get frustrated and they're frustrated at their laughter. So that creates genuine belly laughs.
0: And, and they must feel it, right? Like they you feel the belly laughs in the back of your head, which is <laughs> That's why it's so funny, because <laughs> okay. the head will bob and the person won't be able to say
4: their next, you know, won't be able to say the next ha.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. I would say just in those activities alone, we're already showing the value of sharing our experience. So thank you so much for doing this. So thanks for listening to part one of this episode. Just to summarize those things that were shared, taking notes is an essential way to plan right in the rain. You could be a sponsor of this podcast. Right in the rain books are super helpful for taking notes and also the flexibility of being adaptive to the group as they shift. And then several games that I think and activities that can create laughter in the group. I think that laughter and any fun are an essential component to try to um, incorporate into your programming Carl Ronke, who was the founder of Project Adventure and then High Five Adventure, coined a term, fun, which was F-U-N-N, functional understanding not necessary, which essentially means that you don't need to understand what's going on to still have some fun. And I think sometimes people get hung up on either the the activities they have in their sequence have to have a purpose, and then sometimes participants would be like, why are we doing this? And the reality is the thing could just be the act of having fun. So I highly encourage you to insert some of these activities into your programs that you run in the future. Anyway, thanks once again for listening. Rate, review, share, all of those things. And stay safe and stay connected.
2: Play
0: and then what about thanks for listening to high fives podcast can you do it okay try thanks for giving awesome
4: good papa guys <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Once again, as a reminder, you can support us and the work that we do with classrooms and communities by visiting our website, highfiveadventure.org, and clicking on the support us button at the very top of the page. Thank you once again. Stay safe and stay connected.